Welcome to Stories of Iceland. First of all, a big thanks to everyone who rates, subscribes, reviews or likes the podcast. It helps. But most of all, a huge thank you to my Patreon sponsors. My newest sponsors are Fred Sudler and Gittis Silla. You can find my page at patreon.com slash stories of Iceland. There is extra material there, and this episode also marks the first time that my sponsors get early access to an episode. I intend to do this from now on to show my appreciation for their support. In Iceland, it is supposed to be summer, but there is more wind and rain than sunshine. It suits me fine since I am stuck indoors doing home improvements. For most of the summer I am a grass widower since my wife will be out of town with our sons while I am tearing down and rebuilding our apartment. They will be spending time in her family home, a sheep farm in Vopnafjörður. But this is Stories of Iceland, and this is the twelfth episode, and it's called Gable Mountain Farm. Iceland is in the North Atlantic. Its capital city is Reykjavik. Icelanders are obsessed with genealogy, so obsessed that I need to devote a whole episode to it. But not this one. This time I'm going to talk about my ancestors. They didn't move around a lot. As you all know, Iceland is sheep-shaped. The fjord in the middle of the sheep's back is called Eyjafjörður. That is where most of my ancestors lived and where I was born. Some also lived in the fjord to the left, called Skagafjörður. But they never went any further west. If you see the tail of the sheep, the peninsula called Langanes, you can see how far east they ventured. For eight generations... My family lived and died on this part of the sheep's back. So, I am of the north. When I get to the ninth generation, my family tree takes a brave step down to a fjord that is below the sheep's tail. That is Vopnafjörður, which literally means weapon fjord. In Icelandic geography, this is really a leap. The tail, along with the whole of the sheep's back, belongs to the north, while Vopnafjörður is off the east. My closest ancestor, who lived and died in the east, was called Björn Pétursson. 
He was a county magistrate and lived on a famous farm in Wapmifurður called Bustarfell. The farm is even mentioned in the 13th century saga of the Sturlungs. It is named for the mountain which towers over it. The name Bustarfell means Gable Mountain. Well, actually, it really means something like Fish Mountain, but Gable Mountain is a good mnemonic tool. To this day, this ancestor of mine, Björn, is notorious, and I will tell you about him and his farm. But first I want to mention something that I have always found interesting. In the year 1701, at the same time as Björn ruled at Bustarfell, there was also a boy there who was called Oli, like me. The funny thing is that he is my wife's ninth generation ancestor. Incidentally, my wife and I are related in the ninth generation, but those common ancestors lived in Eyjafjörður. But back to Bistarfell. Oli Fimbosong, my wife's many times great-grandfather, was a pauper, a dependent, who lived at the mercy of my many times great-grandfather. I don't know how they got along, and after I tell you some more about Björn, you might understand why I can't even give an educated guess. I have to note that some of the stories of Björn inhabit the space where folklore and history mix. He was a larger-than-life character, literally. He's said to have been as big as a troll and extremely strong, but also nimble. Horizontally, he could jump about 6 meters or 18 feet over rivers and streams, and vertically he could jump his own height. Björn had large features and a sagging lower lip, which was a family trait that has luckily been lost in the following centuries. He had a furious temper, but could also be a savior to those who sought his help. Björn said that he had no fear except for widows and orphans. When he didn't get what he wanted, he took it with force. No one but him could own a boat for fishing in Vatmehurður. So he got very rich. Björn was famous for building a large farmhouse at Bustarfell. Since good timber was scarce in Iceland, he got his building materials from three ships that stranded, one after the other, he also forced the surviving crew to do the building work for him. These seamen, who are by some accounts Dutch, did not like their stay in Busterfeld and wished for the destruction of the farm. There was also a rumor that Björn himself had caused these shipwrecks. Because of this rumor, ships avoided Vatmehurder for years. Finally, one ship came and the magistrate went aboard with his infamous helper, Ausmunder. The captain welcomed Björn aboard and handed him a cup of wine. For some reason, Björn decided to give the wine to Ausmunder, who drank it and dropped dead. Björn was quick to leave the ship, and afterwards ships started returning to Vatnafjörður. Another story involves a bishop called Jón Vidalin, was visiting the Paris. 
Björn invited him to his study. When the bishop's men started to wonder what was keeping the bishop so long, they went to the study, which was locked, but they heard shuffling inside. One of the men broke down the door and saw that Björn had stuffed the bishop inside a chest and sat on top of it. With the help of his men, the bishop got away and retreated to his tent. The morning after, Björn literally came crawling to the bishop, who said, Crawl, you damn wretch. Björn is said to have paid a hefty sum of money to the bishop, and later they became friends. Though Björn was a manly man, he suffered from male fragility and couldn't stand if someone was said to be stronger than him. Even so, there are tales where he lost fights. Once he had a wrestling match, a glima, which he lost and was said to have been so angry that he conjured up a ghost which killed his opponent. Other tales are more humorous. When a neighbor of his used his own strength to break into Björn's storehouse and steal food, the magistrate replied that it was simply a manly way to get by. In his later years, Björn became more humane in his approach and gave part of his wealth to the less fortunate. His son took over the farm but squandered the family wealth and also had the misfortune of the farm burning down, not once, but twice. So the builder's wish came true. There are more tales from Bustavell than those associated with Björn. The most famous of these is a tale called The Magistrate's Wife. It is not about Björn's wife, though. Bustavell was a farm that housed many county magistrates, and this one is unnamed, and so is the wife. The tale itself is of a common type, but with an unusual twist. The Magistrate's Wife at Busterfell. At Busterfell in Wahmefjörður, there was once a magistrate, rich and from a well-known family. He was married and had a large farm. It was the custom at Busterfell at winter that people lay down to bed before the lamps were lighted in the common room, and the wife of the magistrate was in charge of how long people slept. She lighted the lamps herself and raised the people. Once upon a time, the woman did not wake up as she was used to, and the workers got up and lighted the lamps themselves. The magistrate did not wish to wake her up. He said that she was dreaming and she should enjoy the dream. And it was late at night when she finally awoke and sighed heavily. Then she told of her dream that she had felt a man come to her and told her to stand up and go with him. She did as she was told and he led her away from the farm and to a large stone that stood in the farmland of Busterfell. The man walked three times clockwise around the stone 
and then the woman seemed to see a small but ornate house. He then led the woman into the house, which was all beautifully decorated. There she saw a woman who was obviously in the throes of labor, lying on the floor. There was also an old crone there, but no other people. The man then told the magistrate's wife his business, and asked her to save his wife, who would die if she would not get help from a human. The magistrate's wife then went to the woman and said, Jesus the good will help you. Hearing these words, the woman birthed the child, which gave them all great joy. The magistrate's wife saw that after she called the name of Jesus, the old crone crawled up and swept the house as best she could. The magistrate's wife imagined that the crone felt that the house had become unclean by the mentioning of that name. Afterwards, the magistrate's wife took charge and bathed the child. The woman gave her a bottle of ointment that she should apply to the baby's eyes while it was being bathed. This the magistrate's wife did, and deduced that the ointment was wholesome. She got a strange urge to put it in her own eyes, but did not dare while the people could see. But she managed to touch her right eye with her fingertip while no one was looking. After she was done cleaning the baby, the magistrate's wife prepared to go home. But as a parting gift, the woman gave her a very expensive-looking cloth. It was made from fine velvet and embroidered with gold. Then the man walked the magistrate's wife out of the house, and when they came out, he walked three times round the house counterclockwise, and turned it back to stone. Then he led the woman back to Pustarfell and left her there. Now the magistrate's wife took the cloth from under her head and showed it to prove her story. No one had seen such a fine object, and it is said that the cloth is still kept as an altar cloth at the local church. But the magistrate's wife discovered a change in her right eye, which she had touched with the ointment, and now she saw everything that happened in the earth and upon it. It is said that near Bustarfell there are large cliffs and huge boulders. Now the magistrate's wife saw everything in a different light. It seemed that these were all towns, houses, and large villages. There were many people who behaved like any other people who mowed and raked and tended fields. They had bulls and sheep and horses, all of which looked like they would on any other farm. But nobody could see this except the magistrate's wife. She realized that these people were much more intuitive and weather-wise than regular people. They often tedded hay, though it seemed it would rain, and often waited to tet when the sun was shining the magistrate's wife took notice of the fact that the weather was dry when these people tedded, and it always rained if they did not. 
and this also applied to the other works of these people. The magistrate's wife modeled her own work after what she saw. Once the magistrate's wife went to the village, and when she arrived in the store, she saw the woman she had helped behind the counter. She had been collecting the rarest wares in her arms. No one else saw the woman. The magistrate's wife walked to the counter and very kindly said, And here we meet again. The hidden woman turned angrily around and spat in the magistrate's wife's a right eye without saying a word. Then suddenly the magistrate's wife could not see the hidden woman and never again saw anything more than that she had seen before she had put the ointment in her right eye. There are two features of this story which are very familiar to readers of Icelandic folktales. First, you don't mess with the elves. They are not nice. They might do something for you, but they will punish you and even kill you if you cross them. They might also kill people just for fun. The other familiar feature is that elf women often need the help of a human woman to give birth. These tales are often connected to midwives who are said to have been rewarded with gifts or special skills by the elves. The unusual feature of this story is that the cloth is still preserved, though it is now a museum piece. It was considered so beautiful and strange that it could only have been made by elves. Later research indicates that it's actually Norwegian, so don't get too excited. The current residents of Pusterfell are, like me, descended from the magistrate Björn. They are nicer than him, though. His farm burnt down, but a new farm was built sometime after the year 1770. That farm is still there, and it was actually used until the year 1966. So the current resident, Björk Einarsdóttir, lived there until she was 10 years old. The farm is a classic Icelandic gabled turf house, though it should be noted that it is bigger than those that most Icelanders lived in. It was a house fit for magistrates. Today, Busterfell is a museum that you can visit, and maybe someone from the family will show you around. The house is filled with old furnishings and household items. They sometimes even joke that when they buy something new, they put the old stuff in the old farm, where it becomes an instant museum piece. And if you go there, tell them I sent you. That's it for this episode. A big thank you to my Patreon sponsors, especially Fred Sudler. 
I am Ole Gnistis Oleason, and this has been Stories of Iceland, episode 12, Gable Mountain Farm. Thanks for listening.